0: Captain Mike Holliday is a highly successful guide that has a spectrum vast and varied. He is surpassed only by the wonderful man that he is, a fantastic father, writer, conservationist, and consultant to many companies. His storytelling and experiences are fun and educational. I know you'll love the extremes we cover today on Mike's Podcast. And we broke
1: everything, we broke lines, we broke hooks, we broke rods, we broke our minds, we broke marriages, we broke the whole thing.
0: We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way, so I double-lunged him both ways.
1: But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson.
2: I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he
0: said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out. Thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly,
2: Wow, what
0: a ride!
2: <laughs> There's something fishy going on here.
0: Mike Holiday, welcome to the fish house in the mill house. Man, happy to be here. Pretty cool place, uh, yeah. Thanks, man. A uh, lot, of, lot of fish stories in this house. I'll bet.
2: A lot um, of memories.
0: Yeah, that, you, you brought me something interesting for the Papas today.
2: Yeah, a little uh, tropical Red Bull,
0: <laughs> just to
1: set the scene.
2: Oh, we don't want you falling asleep we're on gonna... us. I know you're old and <laughs> cranky. You kind of had take naps in the middle of things. So
1: normally it's with
2: OJ too. OJ,
1: yeah. What do you call it? What you were saying? Orange Crush. It's
2: up in Maryland, the summer drink is either vodka or rum with. Orange juice and Sprite. I and mean, this is just a little different taste, right? Take on it. it sort of has the, um, you what, know, the. Uh, what the hell? I have no Orange this. juice and Red Bull. Uh, are you even go. old enough? <laughs> you are you old enough? <laughs> um, you think this is Bahamas or something? How, how old do you think I am? 23. I'm 28. It's a, a good thing. Come on, twenty eight to, tomorrow, right? Dude, I
1: remember a, fishing with
2: you when I was probably seventeen. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good thing to look younger as you get older. You want to look older when you're younger, younger as you get older. I know. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Hey,
1: Dad, put that
2: back.
0: Well, you you enter you enter the home and hand us this book. Mexico returns, right? <laughs> um, here we go traveling cross country.
2: Ah, fuck. the first two words it you know what it's it's very irreverent Perfect. it's meant to be that if you want to read a book on fly fishing um stories that are very serious semi-true or true um there's some true parts in there like you know um made colorful there's a piece on getting a vasectomy there's a guy who's going to get a vasectomy and i'm and i just kind of shot him straight this this is what to expect is this what you, you write from experience some of it some of it's, okay. the majority of it's totally made up. Um, when I worked at Florida Fishing Weekly, you know, we would have breaks in the office and people would go out and smoke cigarettes. I went on the internet and I would go on the Drake website and just mess around with people. And that that website is very um, difficult, for lack of a better term. You need to have a good sense of humor. You need to not take things too seriously. Thick skin. Yeah, very thick skin. But just to set the
1: standard, it was before all the social media crap. That was where people and the fishermen went to chat. Was way the Drake before, way before, yeah, and to talk shit. Yep, yep.
2: Was it
0: was it a place to complain or just talk shit and have
2: fun? Not not really to complain. Although you know people did get beat up there on a regular basis. Right. Um, for most of it, it was just a place for guys to sort of release a lot of uh, industry folks, a lot of writers um, in the fly fishing realm are there. Um, all, all under pseudonyms, you know. You're, right, you're, right. Most people don't know who you are when you're there, and um, you know, I just go on there and mess with people uh, on a regular basis. For how many years? Um, this is probably over the course of three or four years. And what
0: was your best spoof, if you will?
2: Oh God, I, you know, I sent somebody up into the mountains in Hawaii, and, and,
0: and have never been there yourself. Oh no, never been there. <laughs> None.
2: And and they're taking know, this they're him, taking you serious tell them who to ask for and um like if you're gonna fish like you go fish this one pool but before you, you get into the pool you want to coat your legs with um astroglide <laughs> because the pool has mud in it and the mud will make you itch but if you put astroglide on your legs you won't itch
0: beautiful you're, anyways, you're, you're one of those guys the
2: idea me? was to go sick se- man send people on different. Expeditions, adventures that were totally made up, and in theory, if they caught fish, that was great. Did they ever respond to your information? I I never got feedback as far as no. Went and did it right. Um, You know, I would just kind of lay out the story. This is what you got to go do. And this is a book, Mexico Returns, about all your posts. So, so and stories we we all posted on there, and just different posts. And somebody gathered a bunch of the posts and and combined it into a book and printed it.
0: Awesome, and you can find this on Amazon. You
2: can, you can. I got a lot of grief for that book from my Wo- ex-wife.
0: Woolly Bugger Press.
2: Woolly Bugger Press. Out uh, how apropos.
0: What, uh, so your wife at the time well, took I was, it too seriously? I
2: was, uh, I was editing it, yeah, and she just, when she read it and she said, you know, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is the and, dark side. I swear to God, it's, it's very dark, it's very irreverent, it's sophomoric humor, guy humor. And, um, yeah, she had me go through a therapist because— She did? Oh, yeah. She's like, you hate women, and uh, you need to really see somebody.
0: I'm surprised she didn't hold you accountable to go see somebody. No. I, 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 she did. Yeah, she, she, she did. Go. She oh, made me go. She made me go to a therapist. I, I thought you were saying—see, I have bad hearing. I thought she was saying she had to go see a therapist. No, no. She sent me. With you.
2: She sent me, and um therapist was like— all right, you're just joking around.
0: Is, is this book something of like a, a writer's dream because you wrote for Florida Weekly? Where else has, have you written?
2: Um, well, it started out with Miami Herald right? Uh, when I was 26. Sort of fell into that job.
0: Did you study this in college, writing?
2: No. I went to a school for aquaculture and uh, got out of school from aquaculture and, and basically I had three job offers. I could go to Belize and raise shrimp for $6 an hour and all the cormorants I could shoot. I could go to... And all the cormorants you could shoot. I could go to Seattle and raise salmon for six twenty five an hour, all the eagles I could photograph. Or I could go to work on the beach as a lifeguard for you know, $14 an hour and all the ways I could surf.
0: And all the hot chicks that walked by.
2: Didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you it, took the, life, the lifeguard I job. I did. And uh,
0: Because you were a big... You, you were a surfer.
2: I was a surfer, yeah. And, um, and loved the job. Uh, while I was working on the beach, I got offered a job at the Miami Herald. <clears throat> I was working in a tackle shop, and, and uh, Jan Fote, who wrote for the Miami Herald at the time, um, came out to do a story on snook fishing on the beach. And I took her out, and we snook fished and, and had a good time. And a couple of days later, she came to interview me at, the, at my lifeguard tower for the story. And then about, oh, a month later, she came out and said, you know, you're very articulate. You know a lot about fishing. I think you'd be a good candidate for this job. I'm. I'm. She was getting ready to move to the Palm Beach Post, and back in that day, the way the way you move forward in the newspaper business was you didn't get raises. You got three percent a year raise, but your competition would steal you, and that that would be your ten thousand dollar bump. Huh. And you kept moving from paper to paper to paper as your competitions grew. And she was moving to the Palm Beach Post from the Miami Herald, and um, she said, I. I told them I would find somebody to replace me. And I just think you'd be a good person to do it. So she had me come in and I did a dummy article and, uh, and they loved it. And they really, all honesty. I mean, they hired me because of her recommendation. There were, there were a lot of people who applied for that job. Right. And I had zero experience. I didn't know how to type. I chicken pecked, you know, two fingers. Wow. And we wrote on these old monochrome coyotes Um, no spell check, you know, it's just a word processor. And you know, my vocabulary wasn't good. I knew nothing about sources and AP style or anything like that. And um, they hired me. How long did you have that job? About four years. Did you like
0: it? Was was it hard? Not um, being a natural writer? Because I I know that the small
2: few things that I write, it takes me forever because I'm not a natural writer per se. So I, I, I didn't have any writing experience. Um, I wrote the way I spoke and just started doing it. And I, I really think you got to write about a million words before it becomes natural. And then all of a sudden you, you find your voice. Once you find your voice, everything just flows.
0: What did you write about in the Miami Herald? I mean, fishing. serious issues or
2: fun stuff? Primarily fishing outdoors. I had a whole outdoor page. Did you ever meet uh, Carl Hyasen when he was working there, or um, still does? I think he was down in. So I wrote on the Treasure Coast. I wrote Treasure Coast in Palm Beach, and he wrote down in the, you know in the main office. Um, I've never met Carl. Do you read his books? I read all his stuff. He's awesome. Yeah,
0: he's awesome. We fish tournaments against he's got, each other. He's got a, a great mind. He's unbelievable. It, it just free
2: flows, and I, and I can tell you, you know, from experience. Uh, um, when you get that way, to where you 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 have your voice, you just sit down and it flows. You don't. You really don't know what's coming out. It's like fly fishing. You have no idea what's coming. It's just, it's flowing and coming out of you, and then you sit back and you go, "Wow, that came out great." And you have no idea. You're writing a story, and then all of a sudden, you kill somebody off with, without planning it. What um, was there ever a time? I mean, I
0: go when I think about writing. I wonder, you know, the certain books that I've really fallen in love with, like Moby Dick. That's the greatest mm-hmm. fishing book of all time. It's my very favorite book. It's unbelievable. Herman Melville right?
2: was amazing, and his vocabulary was amazing. The story itself is amazing. I have chills on my body. I tell Nikki, you've got a very a, favorite it's a, book. It's a hard book to read.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to pay attention. Well, uh, it, so
2: but, so Melville writes in a style, uh, you know, very old style um, that was that was common back in the eighteen hundreds much like when you read Frankenstein with Mary Shelley, very difficult to read, very long, run-on sentences, and you'll read a page or two pages and not know what you just read.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then later
2: but, in the book, it kind of comes to you. You go, "Wow!" Oh, it's
0: it's, it's almost kind of like McGuane with uh, 92 in the shade. Very similar. You're correct. Very All similar. All of a sudden, he goes into this dark cloud over here mm-hmm. for a
1: little bit. Jim
2: Harrison will do the you same pay, thing, too. Pay,
1: you got to pay attention. It's five pages of... Of dialogue, and then he wakes up and it was a dream. Did you ever read uh, The Fountainhead
0: by Anne Rand? I did not. Oh my God. Howard Rourke. He was an architect. Yeah. Oh my. It's one of the classics. But uh, Howard Rourke would go go into this conversation during a trial, and it would be like 25 pages, and it would be one thought. And I just find writing to be fascinating. And I was always wondering whether these great writers ever struggled with. Stories. do they str- struggle with how to write a, a thought? Or was it just so easy that it's like us fly casting, it's, it's easy. And with writers, I always kind of wonder, do you ever get a writer's cramp where you don't have any creativity and you just go dead? And it takes a little bit, maybe something, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you
2: got it. I, I think when you hear about the writer's block, I think a lot of times it's like forced writing. Like today I need to write. Yes. And most writers write, uh, today I want to do three pages or I want to do X amount every day. So when they get there, there's days when you just, your creativity is just not there. You only have so much. <clears throat> and you try and force it as opposed to just, okay, well today I'm take, not that take going off. to write. i right. You going to do something different. Because I called Carl uh,
0: Hyacin recently um, and we were speaking and I, I was saying... I was kind of like venting on on some stuff in the fishing world, and uh, he was. I said, "What are you up to?" He said, "I'm I'm 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 breaking my ass trying to construct a paragraph,"
2: and I found that kind of interesting. One of the great writers. Well, that that may also be like he may have the thought and where he wants to go with it, but the verbiage isn't rolling out exactly how he wants it. Right. And um, you'll find the more you write the the more precise you try to write and the more you care about how each word um, comes out and forms into, into the sentence. So, um, you know, he just may have been stuck on just trying to get right. that sentence, how he sees it in his mind correctly, that when you read it, you'll see it the same way. Right. And, it, you know, it's all interpretational. When, when I write something, that, that tree is yellow over there. When you see when you read the yellow tree, you may be thinking of a completely different yellow tree than I am. Right. So uh, that's the imagination with reading. That's the the fun part about it. It is exactly right. Well, but you, but most can, most, once it, again, once they find a voice, you can pick a subject that they don't know anything. You can, you can say, can you give me 2000 words on the top of that Papa's Pilar bottle? Or that rooster on the front. How do you want it? Do you want it funny? Do you want it? anecdotal do you want it sad i can just sit down and write it right it's just very easy uh
0: i just read this book with uh something clouds i should remember the title a bit better than that but it's a book filled with short stories and it's just absolutely amazing the creativity of a great writer such as he
2: i've read a lot of his his little small pocket books like the longest silence yep all the the permit
0: stories and the tarpon stories
2: and that's all that. that's where i actually got turned on to McQuain was with the longest silence and but a lot of his old books about uh, i wrote a book about dueling these guys are duel with they duel with pistols that have wax bullets so when you shoot you get shoot, <laughs> shot with you get, wax you get thumped <laughs> exactly
1: well and, yeah. and the
2: characters in it right i mean it, it, his character development is yeah. amazing
1: well, if you don't mind, I want to bring you back to when you were a lifeguard. Were you just surfing at that time or was fishing in the picture then? No,
2: yeah, no, I always fished.
1: You always fish.
2: Yeah. As, as a little kid, I fished. I grew up I grew up in South Miami. Um, I lived there till I was 12. I started fishing. The first memory I really have is with my dad. I was probably seven and um, going to Matheson Hammock and fishing for a snapper. And my dad wasn't around a lot when I was a kid. Um, I've lived a very unique life. I was born in Mexico, um, in the city of Mirada, um, inside the American consulate, because my dad wanted me to be on American soil um, when I was oh, born and so to be an American citizen. Um, now, what we were doing in Yucatan at the time, that story you know, varies. I was always told my dad was a jaguar hunting guide, and every photo I have of my dad, he has a sidearm, and a long rifle. Wow. But as I got older, you know, I found out that my dad was working for the government. My dad spoke seven languages, had a true photographic memory. Um, and coincidentally, in, you know, in, in the early 60s in Myrida, we were training um, folks for the Bay of Pigas invasion. So I, I suspect that's probably part of what it was, but as I grew up in Miami, when my dad showed back up in my life that I remember, um, he was flying hurricane planes over Cuba, out of Miami. I've been in the hurricane planes, seen it all. Um, and then when I was 12, I moved to New Jersey. My mom took a job at Princeton University. And uh, my dad was an iron worker for a few years. Then he was selling gold. Before you could you could sell gold on the, on the open market. Before a citizen could sell it, he was a gold dealer. Um, so, you know, don't really know a lot of what he, he had a did. big spectrum. He did. He did. And, uh, you know, in and out of our lives, people would show up with, you know, gifts and things that were just very odd gifts you know, and guns, something from a Chinese <laughs> general um a lot of russian things showed up in our lives wow it's pretty interesting so that's what did he
1: that's what he told you he told you he was a jaguar hunter
2: that's what i was told as a kid.
1: did you ever get the truth
2: not really um after my dad passed away my mom told some stories about him working for the government and um you know just when they were dating and how the mail would come everything would come with a an envelope with just a number on it, not her address or a name or anything. Wow. It just showed up and maybe up. It CIA a stamp on it. stuff. That's what he worked
0: for. Yeah, CIA stuff. Wow, that's
2: fascinating. It's a, I, I mean, I'd love to hear the story. I. I had. It's too, had a, too
0: bad he passed without
2: sharing it. I agree. I agree. And and are you uh, mad about that? Um, curious. Yeah. I would like to know more. Um, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I. To be honest, I wasn't super close with him. Right. Um. He. He operated at a level an intelligence level way above everybody else so um even like when i was in high school when i was playing football and baseball athletics were just kind of a waste of time to him you know everything was about academics and i i remember i I had gotten a d on a paper one time and he got mad at me and and had me write the dictionary word for word what yeah he i I did it serious for a few months and he I got to about D and he let me stop. But every day I would come home and, you know, I'd have to write four pages every day. What kind of um,
0: punishment do you receive from him? Spankings? Not very often. Verbal? Not very often. Verbal
2: abuse? Mm, Not really. Just stuff like that. You know, uh, you disappoint me, this is what you need to do. And you need to do it today and start on it now. Go in your room and do it.
0: So you respected him with just those words?
2: Pretty much. So I was what, scared of him. You know, there were, there were a couple of times when, um, I remember I was, I was, uh, God, I was probably 15 or 16. Uh, I was a big kid, always big kid. You know, I was probably 175 pounds in high school, but, but played football and all. And, uh, I'd gotten up to get a drink in the middle of the night and he had been in the kitchen and we passed each other, you know, just not knowing either of us were there and, um, and he punched me in the throat, just out of reaction.
0: Oh, he he
2: saw the dark side. So you know, I, yeah. I was I feared for him, but I also respected him. You know, it, we also you and I grew up in an age when you respected your parents. You mm-hmm. respected all elders. Right. If uh, a little old lady told you to go get that garbage can and, and move it to the other side of the street, you did it. You didn't right. say what? Yeah. There's no. Yeah. He just do it. So it was, a, it was a little different time. What um,
0: did he ever see your introduction to fishing?
2: No. No, well, you know, um, so I remember I remember being a kid, my mom always saying, you know, fish fish fish, Michael, all you ever do is fish. You're never going to be anybody if all you ever do is fish. And when I became a lifeguard, I was kind of a disappointment, I'm an only child. And they never said anything, but I could tell it was kind of a disappointment to them. And then when I got my job writing for the Miami Herald, they were so proud of me. And, uh, yeah, it kind of went from there. And they did get to see me do, um, you know, write for major magazines. Um write a couple books. Being the great captain ago. that
0: you are, the voice for Guiding captains it. for clean water and conservation.
2: They, they didn't get to see any of that. What do you um, think
0: they'd say now if they were to see where you are? Oh, no, I think they'd be proud of me. For sure. Without
2: without exception. I, you, know, um, you just try and be as good of a person as you can be and let the chips fall where they are. Yeah. You know? My mom was amazing. She worked so hard, did everything for me, made so many sacrifices. Um, I, you know, I was always loved. I never felt like I wasn't loved. Right. Um, I had an amazing life. I I wasn't. Uh, I grew up on the lower side of middle class. You know, we never had extra money. Um, we had one car, not two cars. Um, lived in houses, lived in apartments, but you know, very happy family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, other than my dad not being there a lot, uh, and and you know, that's a big influence. You need your dad. Just to kind of set you straight on things and give you a lot of direction in life.
0: Was your mother pretty tough?
2: Not at all. My oh. mother was a pushover. Oh, yeah, cool.
0: She so was, you had it easy when Dad uh, was yeah, out dude, of town. I had it
2: sweet. Su- su- <laughs> she was a sweetheart. She she took great care of me. Well, when you were a
0: lifeguard, were you fishing at the time? And a lot. And, and, and what did you see as a lifeguard through a fisherman's eyes? Well, it, you know, mullet runs.
2: It, the mullet run used to be stuff. amazing. Was so different than it is now. It was a real mullet run. You would have schools of mullet that came. Um, the school that would sit on the beach and the same school would be there for weeks at a time. And it might be three miles long, four miles long. Wow. And then that school would move down, then another one would replace it. And, you know, big snook, big tarpon, um, sharks, giant jacks, the bluefish that showed up. We always called the first bluefish that showed up Hospital Blues because that all of them, they were all messed up. They'd have chunks out of them or big scars on them.
0: So who was chewing on them? The
2: sharks, probably. Sharks, oh, the probably. sharks, spinner sharks. But well, what was interesting about that is normally bluefish travel in, in schools of fish similar size.
0: So they might bite each other.
2: These were fish of all different sizes. Right. There might be a 10-pounder, it might be a pounder Because if a
0: spinner shark gets it, he's dead. He's toast. He's not going to take a chunk out. He's going to take his tail off. We also off.
2: didn't have the amount of sharks that we have now. I mean, right. we had plenty of sharks, but not like we see now.
0: And that's because of the lack of longliners, if I'm not mistaken. Longliners and and
2: netters. There were guys that netted sharks, particularly in my area. Right. Um, You know, there were a lot of guys that did that. The bull shark problem that we see, I have sort of a different theory on it. Who knows? uh, You know, I'm as full shit as anybody else. So um, what I did notice right after the BP oil spill, a year later, all of a sudden we have big bull sharks everywhere. So we didn't have the juveniles inside. We just had giant sharks, and we had them everywhere. And I think when they sprayed all the dispersant, those fish that are up in the, you know, the Mississippi Delta all moved down into the Gulf of Mexico and came everywhere. around the corner. I think so. In? That's a very. I, I don't know if I'm right about it, but it just seems logical. It was about a year after, maybe a year and a half after the BP oil spill, they showed up. We we always had a barge because the
0: longlanders were banned much much earlier mm-hmm. than when that happened. That's correct. So there's a big time
1: gap, and then all
2: of a sudden the bull
1: sharks have arrived. Yeah, but is there a depletion of sharks in Louisiana and Texas? And I don't know they- the answer to that. Yeah, I mean that's a good question.
2: That that would probably put the two together. Right. Yeah. But I you know I just know we have one sh- we have one barge we call the shark barge where they would show up all the time in the summer. We only had them from. They would show up around. Father's Day, and be there till about the end of August.
1: And this is in Stewart? In Stewart.
2: And then all of a sudden, they're on every wreck. They're everywhere in one year.
1: Um, it's almost
0: like you can't even go out and sport fish now. Because, Very difficult. Because you're feeding sharks, right? Yeah, and and, it, and it's an issue, and it's one that really needs to be addressed because um, that's what it, btt did with the western dry rocks they basically shut it down because all the permit they were
2: catching were getting eaten by sharks i've, I've talked to both btt and um the Billfish foundation about this when you think about it like this um i wanted to do a i wanted to do a survey with 20 offshore captains and have them keep track of how many sailfish they have a year and actually all fish that they have eaten by sharks but do you think about it, if you take if you take the East Coast if you take twenty sailfish guides up and down the coast, and if they're losing thirty percent, if they're losing twenty fish a year, twenty sailfish a out year out of how many fish? I don't I don't know, but okay. it doesn't matter if you, if they're just losing twenty Four. sailfish a year times twenty per captain, yeah, that's only that's only twenty captains. Well, yeah, there's probably two thousand, so we're we losing forty thousand sailfish a year.
1: And that's being conservative, 20 Selfish.
2: I think so. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, we it, we need to address it because we're seeing the billfish runs are not like they used to be. The dolphin runs are not like they used to be. The Kobe are gone. You know, the days of catching 15, 18 cobia a day on fly, that's gone.
1: And that's because when you hook them, the sharks eat
2: them. Sharks eat a lot of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and also because people will stay there and keep fishing until they get to one that they can keep. Right. You know, if 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 a permit or, or a cobia, if anything I have gets sharked, I leave. I'm gone right away. Because the
0: shark's not leaving. <sighs> it's a food platter.
2: You, sooner or later, it's going to get full and you'll land it. But okay, now, so you caught you caught one of the six cobia that you hooked, but you killed six. Right. You know, that's ridiculous.
0: It, and that's what's happening in Boca Grande for the tarpon i agree i just don't understand how that that, how they can still fish there i really the fishing game i do not i mean it's mind-boggling where you hook 11 tarpon they're killing six by the sharks how many of them let go live all day long you know anyway let's go back to a fun place tell me about when you first knew that you wanted to be a fishing fishing was gonna be a big part of your life and you hadn't yet understood that that was going to be your connection to making money
2: Oh, geez. Well, so, I mean, I, I, I remember as a kid wanting to be a fishing guide when I was probably nine years old. Really? Yeah, you know, when you when they ask you in school, what do you want to grow up to be? I, everybody wanted to be a fireman or an astronaut or a policeman. I wanted to be a fishing guide. Was there was there somebody out there that inspired you to be a mm-hmm. guide? No, I just loved it that
0: much. And you, I, and, but that's not catching. That's finding fish.
2: Mm-hmm. And you wanted to be the guy that found them. You wanted to be the hunter. I, I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed being on the water. I just wanted to make a career out of being on the water all the time. And, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to do that. But well, it, Over how many years now as a guide? Uh, I've been a guide 36 years. And that's a, kind of an interesting story. I, I, um, I didn't plan to be a fishing guide. You know, I was, I was uh, writing for the Miami Herald. I was working in a tackle shop. And I was working on the beach as a lifeguard. I work, I've always worked three or four jobs my whole life. And, you know, sort of the trade out. You either, you, if you're lucky enough to find a career that you love that pays very well, it's great. If not, then you find the things you love and do multiple ones and work a lot of days and right. still make the money that you can do it and, and be happy. Um, so I, I had lots of jobs, but I loved every job. It was never like working. Awesome. Um, so I, I feel very fortunate. I, in fact, I read a, a survey. maybe it was Maybe it was Fortune magazine that said, 63% of the people in this country hate their job. and I'm I, surprised it's that low. I can't imagine hating my job. How could you, if you hate your job, fucking quit. But people Go people, do something else. Look,
0: people get stuck. Yeah, they get in the rut. They get stuck. You have two young kids. They have children. They're not even out of college, maybe just after college. They don't have their career set. They're not making a lot of money. They have kids. Now they're behind the eight ball for the rest of their lives. Find your exit strategy. It may take you a couple
2: of years, but find it, you know. I've, I've always,
0: I mean, I've always been a, prop, a proponent for finding what you love to do and, and be the best at it. And the money, you'll find. You and if you don't make enough money doing what you do, just cut down your expenses and you're still in a happy
2: place. Oh, and, right? and, you know, a lot of it's how you live, how you choose to live. Right. Smaller house, smaller cars. Um. So, so I didn't plan to be a guide. I was working in a tackle shop and the New York Mets had, built their spring training stadium in Port St. Lucie and I'm in the shop one day and David Johnson was a coach of the Mets and Mel Stoudemire was the pitching coach. And they came in and uh, they wanted to go fishing. There weren't, I think there was one or two guides in my town at the time. And uh, those guys were busy and they're just trying to get out and fish. And I said, well, I'm going tomorrow. If you guys want to go, you're welcome to go with me. And uh, we took them out on the ocean. The big jacks were out on the beach. And it it was pretty funny because I, they both—they're both, both baitcaster guys, you know, bass fishermen, 17-pound test, topwater plugs. We pull up on those jack schools, and they're all 30 pounds or better. <laughs> I can and, imagine. Uh, they double up on them, and they're going to get spooled, and the fish go in, in in opposite directions, and they're going to get spooled. And and I'm like, well, which one do I chase? And, <laughs> and Davey goes, I, I'm the manager. Chase, chase <laughs> mine. So we broke Mel's off. And we chased Davey's down. And uh, so we came back and uh, next day they came in the shop and Davey said, pulled me aside and said, you know, I've, I've fished all over this country. I fished with a lot of people and um, you'd be a perfect fishing guide. You, you have the knowledge, you have the personality. Um, it just would fit you really well. And I just said, I kind of laughed it off and went, Yeah, you know, that's just not me. I don't know if I can do that and you know went home and just kind of thought about it and thought about it and next thing I, know, I got my captain's license and so
0: he inspired you yeah, to, to jump yeah, to take kind this, of crazy the,
2: story the
0: leap of faith
2: and uh and you know we were friends for some time he he was dating uh this lady who was involved with uh worldwide wrestling wwe and uh and i would pick her up and take her to the ball game and we'd sit and and, uh, you know, watch a game and he would tell, she would tell all these stories about all the wrestlers and the managers and, you know, this guy's going to get hurt. He, he hurt his knee, so he's going to lose the belt and then go on rehab. She knew all the background stuff. It was pretty fun.
1: Tell me about your first guide trip.
2: Were you pretty nervous? Uh, yeah, real nervous. And, um, you know, fortunately, the fishing was so amazing. Um, the Indian River, you know, it was lush seagrass, not very many people. Um, fishing at the time. So it was nothing to go out and catch I mean, even not being very experienced 20 snook, 25, 30 snook, um, you know, a 10 pound trout on top water plug. It wasn't really a big deal.
1: Do you remember your first trip?
2: I don't. I don't. Cause really. someone, cause I, I, A mutual, I friend,
1: mutual friend, Cody Rubner. Oh God. <laughs> he
2: mentioned something about one of your clients
1: in their first <laughs> trip. Like compound fractured his leg, oh, or ankle. That was
2: that was one of the guys who who stepped on a Gatorade bottle. And uh, remember, Gatorade used to come in a glass bottle. Yeah, stepped on a Gatorade bottle and compound fractured his leg, just by stepping on it. Stepped off the deck. That was my first year guiding. Sounds like I had me. that, and I had a guy who, uh, a guy and his wife who got in an argument, and uh, the wife punched him in the face and broke his nose, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and they just started screaming at each other, you know, and he's going. I t- I brought you down for this amazing cool. trip, you know, and, and, um, you know, this is how you treat me. And she said, well, yeah, you know, if you didn't know your secretary, we wouldn't even be here. And she's go, take me back to the dock. I'll pay you, you know, and I'm going, I just want you two out of my boat. And, uh, it was funny cause I, 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 wow. I didn't, when I was a lifeguard, I was an EMT and I usually carried a jump kit, but at that time I didn't, carry one on my boat
0: what's a jump kit
2: it's a you know a a full first aid kit that has trauma dressings and everything and uh all i had was a your normal fish towel stinky fish towel and that's what the guy had to hold on his nose so i I take him back to the dock the wife is when we pull up she's got the money in hand she's out she's out of the boat heading for the car and the guy's apologetic you know just saying i'm sorry i didn't expect this you know (laughs) women
0: You've seen yeah. it all,
2: and, and and I'm just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he she got in the car and drove away.
0: Anybody pooping your live well?
2: Um, not <laughs> in mine. I I've yet to have that. But you know the the old pathfinders, the front seat used to flip forward, and it was nice because girls could kind of get behind that seat.
0: that had a console
2: on one side, yeah, and, and right, and, and kind of go potty. So yeah, it was kind of a potty well. Um. Where were
0: you first guiding out of it? Where you are now up in the Jupiter area? Stuart. Stuart. Yeah.
2: So, it, you know, back then there was um, uh, Greg Gentile got it in the North Fork, Jerry Metz got it in Fort Pierce, and I got it in Stuart. Um, there was one guy who did. Uh, freshwater fresh water in the savannas, but that was about it at the time. There's maybe one or two. Not very many. I you know, I can go back. I can remember when there was three flats boats in my town and I owned one of them. What year was that? Oh gosh. Seventy no, no. Um eighty
0: seven. When did Rufus come into your life?
2: Good question. Um place in a year, I couldn't tell you. But he's Rufus a big, is a trip.
0: He's you know what he said, I called him. I mean, we, I went to the Amazon with Rufus for two weeks. He's an amazing dude. He's un, an unbelievable. I said, give me some intel on, on, on Mike. He said, he is the best. All the sponsors love him. He's going to sit at the right hand of God at some point, whether it be for five seconds, five minutes, or five months. He said, there is nobody that is a better father
2: than you and a better friend than you. Coming out uh, from Rufus. That's touching. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I can tell stories about Rufus. You know, so Rufus grew up on Palm Beach Island, and um, he just liked to fish. And that's sort of how we met with fishing. I, I think I took. I think I met Rufus. Um, I was working in the tackle shop, and we had a big croaker run on the beach. And I took him out to the beach to snook fish for for you know those summer fish with live croakers. And back then, we would take a, a garbage can, a five-gallon bucket with a, a cast net in it. And we'd take it out. we use a five-gallon bucket to fill the garbage can with water. you throw the net. you get 30 croakers. And 30 12-inch 30 croakers would last three fishermen 45 minutes, maybe.
0: Wow. I mean, it, it, Is that how many bites, or you were just losing— That's how many losing? bites
2: you get. Yeah. I mean, it changed. You know, back then, 50, 60 snook days were pretty normal.
0: Holy cow. And how big are these snook at the time?
2: They're all big breeders. They're all, you know, they're all twenty pounders or up. It was crazy. It, they would school up on the beach, and that was part of what I would do when I was lifeguarding. I'd get a break. I would put on a mask and snorkel, and I would go swim up and down the beach. And you know, I'd swim up, and I'd come up on a on a little reef section, and it'd be a whole bunch of fish. And then when I come back, I'd write down what the tide's doing, where they're sitting. So I got it pretty dialed really quickly. Did you
0: ever? Did you ever bring any rods to the life? lifeguards stand and after fishing just run over and start whacking stuff oh yeah I, w- rainy
2: days <laughs> yeah lifeguards the beach? are just poor boys you know so if i can go out there and catch a snook and, and you know four guys or five guys can have dinner we did that all the time and there were days i it, it, this is funny i i had uh i had wanted to uh get a date with this girl It's a girl who came to the beach all the time and i wanted to get a date with her forever and um I finally got a date where We were supposed to meet at this club in Jupiter. And after work, the, it was fall mullet run, there were tarpon everywhere. So I went out, fished some baits, caught two tarpon, got in the water with them, you know, and released them. And um, ran home, took a shower, run down to Jupiter to meet her. And I'm sitting at the bar and I'm just kind of hanging out. And my hands have a lot of hair on them and I'm just kind of hanging, I'm looking. And I see this, she's sitting next to me, I see this big line of snot of tarpon slime on the, back of my, <laughs> on the back of one of my fingers. And I pick it up, and it's just like this big snout, And I'm, I'm laughing. I tell the story of her. And uh, she said, uh, you know, she laughed for a little bit, and we we're talking a little bit, and then she excused herself to go to the bathroom and never came back. <laughs> Obviously, she was not a fisherman. She was not impressed with the guy who smelled like fish. What was the best yeah. uh,
0: mullet run you've ever seen?
2: Uh, you know, it, it, it was, was
0: probably so often you can't pick one out. It was
2: all... Really good, yeah, really good you you could stand on the beach and look north and south and and find them all at school. there were that many miles. always coming always did, always and did, there were tarpon in them always
0: now, you know, I mean when I first got down here to Florida, I would say, probably close to forty years ago in John Glorio. Was a friend. I remember, John? I used to hire John to teach me and to take me fishing. He taught me how to throw a cast net. Um, he had an egret. I had an egret too. I bought one and I started every fall running around and looking for these mullet runs and trying to figure out how to catch tarpon and always trying to like slow troll on the outside of a school and I get the, my bait inside of all the thousands. But I remember acres and acres of fish flying mm-hmm. through the air and sharks too and um you know being a fly guy i all of a sudden gravitated to the dark side you know it's not a dark side it's the fun side hey, in the real world because you're not gonna catch a lot of fish. you're gonna catch a lot more a lot fish. more fish you have a lot more fun for sure and that's why you fly fish because you want to make things more difficult that's correct you want to challenge yourself but and and some fish eat a fly really well you but know. you know what but if if they're not eating a fly i'm all and Nikki too. We're going to throw anything. We don't just, discriminate. We yeah, do we're... not. I get live mullet tarpon fishing. It's the greatest bite in the world.
2: Well, and, and and I also understand. I you know I think when you bait fish as well as fly fish, um, because you get you get so many more bites. You see so many more fish feed. You see so many more. You have so many more interactions with fish. I think it makes you a better fisherman. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the guys who never do anything but fly fish, are handicapping themselves. I agree. because Just because of the opportunity to see the fish in action and, and naturally feed.
0: You see what happens to the bait, and you see what happens to how the fish eats that bait. And so with a fly, a fly is a bait. It's just an artificial bait. You learn how to make the fly work and move like you've seen shrimp and crabs. Move you understand the posture mullet. of the fish. more. You just right.
2: understand way, way more about the fish and its right. habits. Have you... Were you pretty much always
0: a bait guy with a small percentage of fly guys? Well, or so, did you, so does your heart gravitate to the fly side, I mean, even I, though you're a bait guy?
2: Fly fishing's my favorite thing to do. I mean, I, I love it. And I probably, nowadays, I probably about 50% bait and 50% fly. Um, that's I, high. That's
1: higher than I thought.
2: I, it's pretty high. Yeah, and, that's and pretty high. I really enjoy the fly fishing stuff a lot. Um, and I really enjoy the clients. The, the problem for me now, and I wish I had done it earlier, is that the, the fish just aren't there. I know. Like they used to be. Um, it used to be so easy.
1: I know. You drove down today to Boca, and you told us that you fished all day. How was your We called a jack. In five hours.
2: A jack. And and I, one I, jack. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really bad. It's getting ready to collapse. And yeah. you had a How? live
1: I, well full of live bait?
2: I did. I had pilchards, and I had uh, Atlantic Manhattan.
0: So we just had a tropical storm move through South Florida. Here, Did, is that a result of
2: that storm? Yeah, it has nothing to do with it. it Are it, you seeing it, this it on a daily it, basis? It has to do with the collapse of the fishery. So, so the Indian River itself, um, ten years ago, was the most diverse estuary in North America. Now it's a moonscape. All the grass is gone, and um, this year, you know, we're fortunate. We've had amazing. Water quality this year. In fact, today I saw I saw sargassum weed up up at Nettles Island, which is probably eight or nine miles upriver from the inlet. That's a long way, so the water is mm. getting all the way up there. Wow. but but you know, about, you're talking about
0: a high tide being on, a, on an incoming tide. It's taking yeah. it all
2: the way up there, which is really nice to see the good water quality. Um, you know, we've always had this water that runs off from Lake Okeechobee. Well, since the '40s, since they built the the um, St. Lucie Canal, and started sending water away. But about nine years ago, in one year, all the grass died. Why? One year. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, my theory is, um, you know, Roundup. They, they started spraying the lake real heavily. And, um, you know. For weed control and the just banks. Just comes downhill. Fuck. And it, but it killed the whole, the whole river's dead. And, and the, it changes the dynamic, okay? So let's take uh, April and May. Typical April and May 10 years ago. I would be on the grass flats. I'm not near the shorelines. I'm not on channel edges. I'm on the grass in the middle of nowhere, just me. I have no boat wakes going by. It, it just serene, beautiful as can be. I'm fishing 10-pound test, fishing live baits. Average day, um, 40 to 60 snook two or three trout the trout were your incidental catches they just ate your big thread fins and um most of the trout are gonna be over six pounds most of them are gonna be over eight pounds and anything smaller than that there's bluefish in that area and the bluefish would eat the tails off them and then just eat them piece by piece so um you know average day you're gonna you're gonna catch three big trout 40. Forty plus snook every day, every single day. Um, so in the, in the month of April and May, I would probably catch you know hundred trout over six pounds. And I didn't catch a trout last year, whole year, not not including big ones. None. Is this savable? It is savable. It is savable. All, all we got to do is control the water, and the grass will come back. The, the The problem is it's gone. So so now you have a you have a you have a river where people fish for trout. There's no trout. People fish for redfish. There's no redfish. People fish for pompano. Then the pompano runs. A pompano come through now. There's no food, so they just keep moving. So you have a good day. But everybody was spread out. Now the only fish to fish for is snook. So there's nobody trout fishing. You can't catch a trout.
0: So everybody's on the, everybody's on the docks. On, everybody's on every And the fish. only
2: place the snook are is on the shorelines. Yeah. Because there's no grass in the middle. So all you have is shorelines. So... Um, they're just getting beat immersively, and you know I would say my average catch this year on snook would be eight on a, on a trip. Average. Yeah, and and you know this is my thirty sixth year. Like I, I, I don't have an A B C spot. I I got three alphabets I can go through. If you're a new guy and you don't have very many spots, you're toast. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. Well, uh,
0: we saw you up at um, Tallahassee, mm-hmm. you know. Um,
2: what was the outcome of that in your eyes? Well, I think the bill got you know it the bad passed. parts got taken out of it. The worst parts got taken out of it. Um, that was really my first time being in front of the Senate and seeing politics at work. And um, you know, as you're watching it, it's just kind of theater. It's uh, the outcome's already been decided. Yeah, you don't understand
0: the snatched. results of what their their words are saying.
2: It, 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 it's sad i think but i think me, our but, politicians have a uh, have their own agenda and you know they don't vote the will of the people like they're supposed to they vote with their pocketbooks i think they vote with their own pocketbooks yeah how do you
0: how do you fix all that cuz you can't but take you away the money the money is going to keep coming
2: well, well so what if you limit how much you can raise and anything you raise after that goes to your opponent. And each of you can only have $200,000. Then you're going to have to run on the issues. Mm, that's oh, interesting. Oh, that's a great idea. That's no, interesting. No but that'll hats. never happen. No, it'll never happen. Of course, it's yeah. like it's like term limits. Yeah, you know, right. Term limits are never going to happen because the people who, who would vote for them are the people who take advantage of it. So what would it take, hypothetically,
0: to see the, a, a new world order, if you will, and whether or not you think that would ever in your wildest dreams come to fruition because some of the guys who own the big sugar stuff are fishermen. Mm-hmm.
2: But you don't, you don't I, think I, you're I, seeing I, like um, pieces of the new world, world order with Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party movement and Black Lives Matter movements? like people are getting fed up and they're getting fed up with, with politicians having their own agenda and having the option of, you know, voting for the least worst candidate, which is crazy. Like we can't come up with better leaders? Right. Are you kidding? You know, we don't come up with better leaders because of people who are in politics. You have to be able to compromise yourself to be in politics. And that's who we're getting, people who are willing to compromise.
0: It's a sad thing. It is a sad thing. Do you think that will ever
2: flip? I think we'll probably see a revolution at some point. I don't know. I mean, that's what always happens in every country. Revolution turns it over.
1: I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because we're going to get slammed by politics and shit, and people hate that. But, you know,
2: I I, I get stuck in politics because of my work with captains. for Yeah, sure. Right,
0: and and that's why we had to go to this conversation briefly because it was a big issue just recently. So, as Nikki said... um, what is it now for you as a guide and you know for the future
2: well uh, it this is what i think is, is the reality re, of where do you we re,
0: are. you kind of relocate where you fish and avoid uh, that that uh, dry, that that i
2: work harder than i've ever worked before and it should right. be easier and with all my experience i you right. know things should be easier sure. it's harder Yeah, and and um there's less fish all in the last thing i want to hear anybody say is we want to go snook fishing I want to do anything but snook fish. What's
1: your favorite fish? But then, but when someone says, I don't want to go snook fishing, it's like,
2: what do you do? Well, like now, I mean, I, I can go offshore and live chum. I can right. go tarpon fishing on the beach. I can go permit fishing. Right. But inshore, you're pretty limited to snook fishing. Just don't pretty go much. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just much. leave them alone. I want to do anything but, but yeah. be there. But you're blowing, it's blowing 20 miles an hour. You're stuck. You're stuck. That's what you're doing. And, and the same, you know, a lot of the winter time, you can't get out. It's just it's just not going to happen so you're snick fishing. What's the best time of year
0: to have somebody come fish with you now and what are they going to be catching? S-
2: summertime's pretty amazing. And and it all depends on what you like to do. Like like my very favorite thing to do is offshore live chum with a fly rod. Just go out there and start You know,
0: chumming pilchers. Chumming
2: pilchers and see who shows up, whether it's tuna or Wahoo. I remember, Nikki,
0: I remember when I first started doing this, you see these explosions starting to happen because you've been chumming for a while. So you got a long slick. You have like a trail of tears. Yeah. All of a sudden, shit started coming. Blowing
1: up. I I did that with Ron Dora quite a bit. Right. It was so fun. So much. Ron's a great guy. Yeah. Very good fisherman. I love Ron. He's a great guy.
2: Well, so uh, I love that um, because you don't know what you're going to get. And the, you know, the opportunity to just sort of hand feed fish. Um, a sailfish will come in and you throw him a bait, he eats a bait, you throw him a bait, he eats a bait, you throw him a bait, he eats a bait. You a bait, eats a bait. Then you get your shot with the Does
0: fish. that happen in the summer? All the time. For the sailfish? All the time. Now, really? our,
2: our summertime sailfish is better than our wintertime now.
0: Wow, and you got soft seas. You don't have to go out there flat and throw, calm, throw up all day. Black
2: calm, big fish. fish are coming out of the Yucatan. Out, you know, the, the fish that are in Isla Harris, in the spring are up here spawning in the summer. Oh, is, is that no kidding? right yeah so is that uh, proven by tags uh i think that's how it is Some, really somebody from the Billfish foundation told me that and um they show up right on father's day somewhere there and they they last you know well into july this year they went all the way to august
0: no kidding because you've always heard you know the north wind in january and february where the everybody's best visions when it's killed. rough same in, in the summer too no in the winter but in the summer, it's okay. It's flat calm. They're, they're, they're
2: there. There are days when you're running, and the and the sails are all up on top, and they look like palm fronds. Their sails are up. They're just basking on the surface, and you're running along. It just looks like palm fronds everywhere. And run up to them, throw right at them.
0: Really? Oh yeah. You can you can just hand you feed can, these you can,
2: fish it, with a pilcher. You just take up. You can slide up and just flip to everyone. Why why, like fish uh, why everyone.
1: are they on the surface? I'm just trying to relate it to tarpon fishing. I have no idea. Laid up sailfish. I
2: have no idea, but they're all up on top. And then the same, they're and they're in. Pods of like six, so if you, motors
0: don't bother them.
2: No, nah, if you throw if you throw a, a handful of pilchards out, one comes up and you hook him. He's got two with him, and you throw to them. You're hooking them just like a dolphin. All of a sudden, there's just there's fish all around the boat. Really, it's so don't, crazy.
0: So everybody out there that's listening to this podcast, don't worry about winter fishing. Come fish with you well, in the well, summer. So so here's
2: here's, here's an interesting thing. Uh, you know you know we're talking about the 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 for lack of a better term, death of the inshore fishing in my area um, because of the lack of habitat, because of the total loss of habitat, probably 75% of the habitat's gone now. Um, folks that fish offshore, folks that fish in Jacksonville, Miami, the Keys, they go, you know, this, this issue doesn't pertain to me. You know, why, why do I have to worry about it? And I want you to think about this. When people that live where I am can't catch fish, where do you think they're going next? They're going to tow their boat to where the fish are. And if that's where you are, it's offshore. When it's flat calm, there's 10 times more boats out there because the little guys, they're done fishing on inside. Everybody's going offshore. Right. So the offshore people need to deal with it too. The The guys in the Keys, you know, everybody's going to run down to the Keys to fish because that's where the fish are. Right. And I mean, they've already seen that. Mm-hmm. um west coast it's sort of the same but when when there's a red tide there everybody's going north or they're going south um so the you know these water issues in florida um they affect everybody
0: right um it was interesting I was seeing a post that you posted a couple of days ago but you had a big big ball of tarpon you're fishing for and the jet skis came rolling by but tell me about your tarpon fishing this time of year because obviously not obviously, because a lot of people don't understand this, but uh, after the worm hatch and the big full moon in June, the new moon in, uh, or actually in May, the new moon in June, those fish go offshore from the satellite tags that we found out, and they spawn in 400 feet of water, and then they gravitate north. You've got to have a great tarpon fishery
1: up there. We have an amazing tarpon fishery. Year, right? Yeah, amazing. But, but do you find them mostly going north, or do you have southbounders as well?
2: I fish southbounders on Labor Day fish to school going southbound but the southbounders don't eat very well for some reason we've always seen in the
0: keys too. the northbound fish bite so much better so much are they hungrier because of they've they've spawned and they're tired they've been traveling you,
2: you know you you see a lot of um the southbound fish are always green the northbound fish you'll have the brown fish in them you know you'll have the different colored fish in in the northbound ones, you never see it in the southbound fish. They all seem to be green to me. We, you know we spoke about that
1: in the Dave Danker podcast. I want to get Oh your, really? Yeah, I want to get your take on that. What what do you think the color change? You know, I, what's your theory? If on I was that? gonna
2: guess, it's uh like a lactic acid thing. You know, they're probably traveling. swimming. They're traveling hard. They're pushing hard, and they're just you know short on energy, and they're looking for something to eat.
1: And those brownback fish are swimming softer God, and God s-
0: slower. And I've always said I've done these presentations, and when I was fishing tournaments, we'd see like a, a string of fish that are you know sliding north. And if you have a brownback fish, I always wanted to get the, my fly to that fish. That's the one that's going to eat. That's the one that's going to eat. Yeah. And I started thinking, why is this fish brown, and the others might be, have black backs um, or green? and i kind of thought that the florida bay fish in the backcountry, the tannic water they might have more of a browner uh copper color and with the big super tide they get out on the ocean and they get stuck with a string of fish going north and all of a sudden you have this backcountry fish with an ocean fish an ocean swimming school maybe and those backcountry fish have always eaten so much better I- and i'm thinking Maybe it's not because he's he's tired and he's hungry. It just might be a fish that's come from a from a zip code that doesn't know any better.
1: But that's not really applicable to where Mike's fishing. I, I,
0: I get so that, but I, I, no, I'm I, just I'm
2: saying
1: that's interesting that he's seen it up there,
0: right? But well, we I'm just,
2: see it we see it all the time.
0: But I'm just I'm just relating to what I've seen and how that might apply to the brown back fish that you see, and it may be. Do you I, have do you have backcountry fish up there that may find their way out on our backcountry fish
2: are black. Oh, wow. They're not brown. But but I also see typically late season, typical 10th of July, somewhere around there, um, entire schools, and usually in the afternoon, whole schools brown back. And, I mean, it's just money. You can do, you can do the dumbest thing in the world. You can take a, <laughs> a dead thread fin and just splat the school. And they're all going to go apart they're all going to come back together and one of them's going to get that dead thread fin every time
0: so you're looking for a brownback fish if you
2: see that i i mean I'd, I'd tell my clients that you know that's the fish you want to throw you may want to throw at that big one on the front it's not a, a green one may eat the brown one's gonna eat gonna eat yeah and yeah and i mean literally that different
0: i remember i used to fish up there uh with john and uh, Glorio, and we used to net these pilchers and you know I think Butch Constable and the guys up there used to chum these schools and get them you know rolling on these these chum baits. yeah and then we'd throw interesting yeah you know what I'm I don't talking about anything there. about that <laughs> you throw a white fly <laughs> yeah, in there that, mean, that so. means shut your mouth that. <laughs> that means shut your mouth so you don't free cast flies to these fish you typically chum them up
2: um it depends uh we free cast flies all the time um does it work well it does particularly morning when they're all floating you know low light you get out you know we have a couple areas that we know they're gonna sit and you get out there and when they pop up when they're just barely moving that's when they eat really well and um they'll they'll eat a they'll eat you know obviously a, a purple and black but we throw i throw a lot of able anchovy color type flies right they eat those super well early in the morning um, but you also middle of the day, you'll have fish that you have really good shots at where you can post up and throw at them, and they'll and they'll chew. And I I have guys that will not let me chum at all.
0: Well, they're they're authentic fly fishermen, and and you know, and they do well.
2: We catch fish depending on you're how not, well they you're cast. Not, you're not it, it depend- jumping ten fish, man, and yeah. it's not happening.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, because. It's really hard to jump 10 fish anywhere in the world if you're just throwing you know, a fly unless you have a great run of fish and well, well, uh well, so, really good.
2: So, you know, once those fish get moving, they're moving.
0: They're not eating.
2: They're moving. And, and all the chum does is stop them. They stop and they eat. And you completely halted them yeah. and, and lit them up.
1: I always heard stories, you know, 15, 20 years ago about the power plant and how good the fishing was there. You'd Mm -hmm. go there and you'd catch permit and Cobia and Mm -hmm. Kingfish and just schools of jacks and acres of jacks, you know, tell us about those days of, of going up there. And what would you see and what would you catch? And is it,
2: has it changed that dramatically? Oh yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, well, first off, you know, back when I first started doing it, um, I, I had an advantage and I had a new boat, so, which means I have a new motor and it's
0: 15 miles from the inlet
2: it's um it's 13 miles from my inlet it's nine from fort pierce and you just had to have a dependable motor and a lot of guys weren't going to run it so because
0: they're worried about their motors breaking down really only in 15 miles
2: that's back in the day like in the 1800s well you're you're also out out on the beach in the afternoon we didn't have cell phones so it's not like you're calling anybody for help. And there mm-hmm. a lot of days when you're the only guy up there. And um, yeah, I'm, like I remember the first time I, I saw a permit up there, there's probably a thousand fish in the school, maybe more, I don't know. Um, we caught them on Clousers. We just went up there just to goof off. I remember we were catching permit after permit after permit. I think we caught 18 that wow. day.
0: So we're interviewing Bob Clouser this week amazing yeah amazing fly. right it's, you know that clouser minnow catches yeah that's funny you caught, said that probably
2: caught more fish than any fly pattern in the world uh, the deceiver maybe is another
1: one i was gonna ask you about that and you know i might be stepping in front of myself but so i i put this you know i put a poll up on instagram for people to you know post questions and one question was what is your favorite and most productive snook fly everyone knows you as such a prolific snook fishermen?
2: Yeah, so... Is
1: there one that stands out?
2: I, I throw a lot of polar fiber minnows. Um, anything that looks like a small bait fish, maybe three inches long. Does it have brown, to be
1: that particular?
2: No. In size? Bait fish pattern, three inches, brown back, white body.
0: How do you make that presentation?
2: Um, and, and here's the thing people, snook fishermen do, is they fish way too fast. Stripping S- too fast.
0: Slow it down.
2: <laughs> slow. The, the fish is going to eat it on the pause, And a lot of times they dog it. And they dog it all the way to the boat, and then you know you're on on the end of the rod tip, and they haven't eaten. And if you just stop it, they'll swim right up to it. And and if they try and nose it, much like a Kobe, if they try and nose it, pull it away from them.
0: Right, just like a tarpon, just a little bit. Yeah, bump.
2: and they get just so it. pissed off, they just fully garbage it. Um, and so so just slow things down. No, I don't do I don't do real long slow strips. I do little short. Dink, Little dink, bump, bump, dink. Same with the, same with tarpon fishing, almost like a bonefish strip. Little dip, 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 mm-hmm. dip, dip.
1: Same same leads for snook as you lead tarpon. I've never done it, so I don't know. Um, so Ten feet, or, or do you? Well, it all
2: depends. If you're if you're sight fishing them, yeah, uh, eight feet. I, I'll tell you, trout's a lot harder to catch than the snook. Is yeah. it really? Oh yeah, uh, a lot harder. They're pretty smart. Their 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 vision's amazing. Their sound, you know, the ability to track you. And Hear You is amazing. Um, back when I worked at Maverick Bow Company, I, I, I worked there for four years. And uh, Scott Deal and I would fish on Wednesdays. And I would pull him and we would sight fish the trout, the big trout on the shorelines. And in a normal day, we might see 60 or 80 trout over six pounds. And if we caught one, we had a good day. They were very difficult. Wow,
0: like more difficult than permit.
2: And you could not You could never throw the fly past a fish. I've never had a, I've never thrown a fly past a trout, laid up in, in shallow water, and had it eat, ever. It always had to land on its peripheral vision. Short side. With no splash. Just a, you know, we fished little uh, unweighted bait fish patterns, and it would land. And you usually got one strip, and he would turn, and then just lunge and eat it.
0: Uh, All sidearm, soft presentations, long leaders. If you
2: throw overhead, they see you every time. It turns overhead. It hits too hard. All you do is see them move. Yeah. If they move, they know you're there. Mm -hmm. Um, Snook is very similar, but sometimes you'll get, you know, the suicidal fish that you'll throw and you'll bomb it and it'll move and it's moving. You throw it again and it's still moving. You throw it again and it eats. You can just go, oh, God.
0: If you had a chance to travel any where in the world today and fish? or have your fishery as it once was. What would you do?
2: I would love to see my fishery like it was. I mean it's just so much I remember about it and so so many things that we um, took for granted and just didn't realize how fortunate we were, you know um, the giant schools of permit that we would have on the beach. You know, when BTT had its permit tagging program, it was me and Joe Gonzalez and um, Carl Ball who were always vying for who who tagged the most permit. Right. And their fish were flats fish. My fish are just, you know, out on the beach or out on wrecks where they're easy. You could catch 15 a day. Right. Um, And it was, I mean, it was just amazing, though. You would have a school come by and people would say, how many fish are in that school? I don't know. It's, 150 yards across the fish are swimming this far apart and it takes them a minute and a half for the school to go by. Wow. And a small fish is 25 pounds.
0: Cause I think the world record at one point was off the Lake Worth pier. That's 55 correct. 55 pounds. Yeah, or that's correct. Like it was that.
2: off Lake Worth pier. We, we saw like giants. I, I've had my hands on two. Um, I caught one, one day that was so big I, I couldn't touch my fingers when I grabbed his tail and I had to get my hand under his belly and I had Sounded to sound like a climb, get under his head a it in the boat. Fuck. And, uh, that was back before cell phones. And, um, I bought a 60 pound Boga grip when they first came out. Just so if I ever saw that fish again, I, I could weigh it, weigh it. And, uh, somebody liked the stuff that was in my boat a lot more than I did one day, took all, all my stuff off my boat. And, uh, you don't realize some of the things that you lose when, when your boat gets robbed. And I was out fishing and we caught another giant like that. And I, I got, went to go get my boga grip because I have to know how big it is. And I'm like, ah, it's, gone. Shit, it's gone.
1: Well, you speak about how difficult the fishery's gotten. Uh, you know, I'm very curious to, uh, do you still have that fire? Do you still get excited to go fishing on a daily
2: basis? I do. I love it. And you know, it, the problem is there's so many pressures on the fishery for what it's what is left so um you know it's just very difficult and you can either adapt or you cannot adapt right what i do a lot now fish at night when there's so many less people on the water like our our during a fall mullet run on the inside our tarpon fishing used to be amazing all day long tarpon blowing up blowing up blowing up skyrocketing in the mullet if a mullet came around a corner, a tarpon would just sit on that corner and just blow them up every time they came around. And you threw a mullet, you got bit on the first cast. And now, it's the first boat that drives by there, it's over. Puts them down. They blow them up. But at night? They're, yeah. It's still going on. It's still very good. If you, oh, want, if you want to go catch a 20-pound snook tomorrow, we can go do it tomorrow. Wow. Um, it'll be on a bridge in the dark, but... Pretty what, much going to happen. What about Tommy
0: Green and uh, and Copeland and uh, David Tommy Justice uh, and all those guys that used to follow the tides all the way from like Jupiter to Miami, catching all those big shuck or snook off the bridges? Yeah, ten cent bridge. I, I mean, used to see those guys a lot. Did you ever
2: do all that? I did. So, so when I was younger, I was, um, for lack of a better term, ego driven. Like all of us. Um, I think that's part of being young. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I snook fish. I, I fish straight hundred pound test off the bridge. All I wanted to do was catch the biggest snook, and I would fish big baits, big mullet, big bunker, and I had a way. You know, back then you had um, you have bridge gaffs. There were no size limits on them on upper side. But when I started, you could keep four. They just had to be over eighteen inches, and uh, you'd have this big bridge gaff with treble hook on it. You'd get your fish up, you'd lower it down. And I had, a, I had a thing where I always had a little cooler with some sodas. And I would pull that thing up and I'd throw it over on the pavement. And then I'd walk away from it. I'd leave the gaff hooked in his face. How big is this fish? Mm, 30 pounds, 32 pounds, whatever. And, and I'd go get a soda. And I'd just sit back and drink my soda and let the crowd gather around. It was, about, it was all about this crowd. <laughs> you rock star fisherman. Well, you. So, so uh, one time I'm, I was going out of town. And I was on the Jensen Causeway at night and I caught a fish that was not remarkably big, 26, 27 pounds. And I let it go. That's a
1: pretty big snook.
2: Back then it was pretty common to catch, right. to catch those big fish. And I, and I let it go, which is something you didn't do then. But I knew I was going out of town. Um, I wasn't going to eat it. So there was no reason for me to kill it. And this is how I got into conservation was I, every time I went back to that bridge afterwards, The whole little clan that was always there goes, "That's that guy. That's the guy who let that giant snook go." And they remembered you for not a giant snook, not even a remarkable snook, but they remembered you for letting it go. So I started letting all my snook go. And now they're really impressed. uh, Well, I guess, and and you know, or I was the fool, one of the two. And then I just started getting into it, and then I started realizing, you know, if I start letting these go, then I can catch them again. And you know, sort of all clicks. And I think you have to, I think you have to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes as an angler to kind of grasp on conservation. If you look at, you know, you know, when you go to an to a uh, IGFA legendary captain's dinner, you have all these old guys who are very respected in the industry who've earned their boots in the industry, and um, they're being honored for the influence they've had in the industry. Every single one without exception talks about conservation because they've all seen the changes in their lives. They've all seen the, the diminishing of their fishing resources. They've all seen um, what happens when you let fish go and when you protect them. Right. And have realized the value of a fish. You know, they're too valuable to catch just once. Yeah. When is, it, when's the last time you kept a snook? Um, I killed one this year. I don't kill very many. I, I, so I'm debating this right now whether I go to a no kill policy on snook in my, in my, your boat. On my boat. There's no kill policy on trout. And my, my theory on that is the big sea trout are genetically superior. You've got to let those, them go. I want those genetics in my yeah. river. I don't really catch little ones. If I, if I do catch a trout, it's going to be big because I'm using big baits for them more often than not. Um, I want those genetics in my river, so I won't kill a trout under any circumstances. Now we don't even have any, so you want as many trout in the river as possible. With snook, um, you know, so the numbers are going down, but we have we only have a limited amount of habitat. And the amount of fish that are going to be there is what the habitat will hold.
0: Supports, yeah. Right.
2: And I think there's there's so little habitat, there's always going to be that number of fish i think i think they probably lay way more eggs than you know than the habitat can support i think a lot of them probably die off so until we get the habitat back i don't really see the fishery going up should i kill one or not i don't know i just i i even feel bad fishing for them now i mean i I catch if i catch eight fish in a day four of them have three hook marks in them
0: have you ever thought about going back to writing full time leaving the water what
2: i do when i when i get a little older I, I love writing. How old are you right now? 62, just turned 62, June first, and um, I love writing. I just don't like being poor. If you
0: were to write continuously, what would you write about?
2: Um, I want to write fictional novels, but more escapist fiction. What what people are doing in their lives, you know, that I can draw from experience. Um, I'd started a novel where it's three year. It's a year in the life of three people. One who's a lifeguard, one who's a mate on a charter boat, and one who's like a sixteen year old kid. That's you. And it it pretty much is a reflection of things I've seen in my life. Um, and just crazy stuff, but it's all made up. But it's fun, you know, it's, it's fine. Good. I, <laughs> I, I can sit and write it and, and again, I don't know what's coming out of my mouth. I have no idea. And I, I just write it and it, it's fun. Yeah. It, Writing I can write I can write now to where it's enjoyable to me to write. So, uh, you know, I'd like to get back to doing that.
0: How would you like to be known? How would you like to be respected?
2: Uh, you know, I, I think I am respected as a... Oh, you're you know, respected for sure. A, a, but
0: in, but not only as a great fishing guide and a great friend, like what Rufus said, but it's, when it's all said and done, what are you most proud of?
2: You know, you, know, I, I, you know, by far I'm most proud of my kids and and the people they've turned out to be which is just amazing It surprising. But you've
0: been challenged because you've got an autistic daughter. I do. I have a daughter how, did, how did that challenge you?
2: Oh God, it's, it's the greatest struggle you'll go through in your life. And she's my easiest child. She, you know, you overthink it. You, you want so much for them and you want them to have a normal life so much that um, you have to really work for it. And there, and there's just things that you have, you have to adjust your thinking, you know, they're not any worse off than we are. They're just, think differently than we do they don't their social interactions are different um they have trouble with social social interactions but they're just normal kids for the most part and um you know i'm fortunate my daughter is high functioning which is not normal with girls um usually they're, they're low functioning and um you know she's just been a blessing to my life i can't even ever imagine her being any different than she is um and she's My easiest child. She's my sweetest child. I mean, loving, just a great kid. Um, In the fishing realm, where I would like to be thought of it is sort of as a mentor. Um, You know, I've taken a lot of guys under my wing and showed things. Uh, You know, as fortunate as a writer, um, what I would do is I would find who's the best at everything. Uh, You know, I want to find out who's the best at catching big trout. That was Jerry Metz. And I would go fish with Jerry and write a story about it. And Jerry would show me things and he'd go, please don't write about this. And i go, no problem. But I didn't forget it.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: um, and that's sort of as we we go, you know, we gather. But to have the opportunity to fish with all these amazing fishermen um, and learn from them. And then just try and, sh- that's what I think the writing part of me was. I was just trying to share that knowledge base with others and show them how to do it. And, um, you know, these days they call me the mayor of the guides and steward. Because I'm the guy, I, I'm the guy who's got to stop in and step in on all the drama, and you know, break things up or go talk to people and, and tell people you, you have
0: know, a voice of reason.
2: Yeah, kind of Seen it all and just you know, if I, I know this. I, like this summer, I had to go tell somebody that you know some of the guys were having problems with the thing, the way he was doing some things. And uh, you know, we got out. My my holiday, you know, yelled at me today. I didn't yell at him. I told him, you know. People are getting mad. You need to change these things. Uh, but I know if I don't say anything, it's going to blow up, and it's going to turn into this giant drama. And it's going to be new guides, a console. I'm too old for that crap.
0: Right, but you're too old. But you're taking on that responsibility.
2: I think it's inherent in all of us yeah. to take on that responsibility. I
0: mean, it's work that needs to be done, and that's you oh, cannot yeah. say no to that.
2: You know, I was going
1: to say, you know, that must feel good. As there is a conflict and there is an issue, people look at you to try to defuse the Yeah, the sometimes problem. it's good.
2: Sometimes you're just like, oh, man, really? <laughs> really? You can't just pull that guy over and talk to him? So it, it's a trade-out. Sometimes I have to guilt people. So they call you things.
1: the mayor of the guides. Yeah, do call me that. I yeah. love it. my Mayor it's, for short.
2: Yeah. It's, well,
0: you've been a great friend for a long time. We love fishing you with know, you. You know, it's
2: been uh, a while since we fished. We need to go do that. I know. Um, You know, the offshore stuff's getting ready to light up. We should definitely go do that. If if, if you ask my favorite fish to fish for, Bonita. I'm fly.
0: I love Benita.
2: Uh, it's my very favorite thing to do is. They're fast and, those and And watching them eat it. And the bite's incredible. And it's so relaxed. You know, you almost don't care if you catch one or not. And anybody can catch a bonita. But after but after you get the bite and fight one, you got to do it again. Like you're not, put the fly rod down. You can't stop it. You can't. Like I, I just need one more. I need one more. I need right. one more and um you know that's sort of the part of fly fishing that we all love we all love that little challenge we all love the beauty of the bite and the different styles and the way the fish feed and getting them to do that i think as you mentioned this
0: that was my first real connection to, to saltwater stuff I mean, I I was in Belize, saw a tarpon eat my fly for the first time. But when I got back down here, I was with John Glorio chumming offshore, catching Benita. That was my real first success with the saltwater fish. And they they sprint so fast, and they clear the line, and they rip stuff apart. It's like, and they're easy because you can chum up like a thousand a day mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. And it was like.
2: Well, and, and, and it
0: was a can't the candy store was happening.
2: You, you know, when you look at the average saltwater fly fisherman, they don't they don't pull on a lot of big, strong fish. So this is a really good opportunity to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's real good for coaching people. Like, you know, you, you show people how to lift with your legs and how to have the right angle to have the rod. And that's a great fish to do it with,
0: right? Clear line, it happens right now. Oh my god, one
1: hundred percent. Because when you're teaching them, when you're tarpon fishing or permit fishing, you might catch one. Well, you only a day. get one, how
2: many shots do you get? Exactly. Here right. you can you can beat on them and beat on them and beat on them, or, or lack of a better term. You can teach them and teach them and <laughs> teach them, and then eventually they pick it up. And you're like, you're doing it. You can then you can you know start giving them the positive reinforcement. You got it now, right. dude. But right. I can't
0: help saying that one of my favorite fish on the ocean up there is the spinner sharks
2: they're crazy oh my
0: god when i started working with hardy and developing rods and testing rods and reels it's like you got to go catch a spinner shark chum them up and catch them with fly rods so i stopped That's insane doing that. why because uh, people can't do it
2: no i just ruin hmm. i break a rod i minimum i lose a fly line almost every time and break rods break rods. so we get them, them at the power plant we don't have them over open sand so they're gonna run around there's boxes down there all and right they're gonna get on the structure minimum you're losing a fly line why don't every you trip. just
0: why don't you just fish with them down towards like pex lake and down the beach smaller fish them. the big ones are at the uh, boils yeah. the
2: pex lake ones are like 40 pounds and they're fun but you know the, the ones at the power plant those are those 100 pound those are those <laughs> big thick ones the well, bite on a spinner shark spectacular it's the unbelievable they the way jump they, kind of they spin turn their heads as, As a, they're trying to grab the fly, I mean.
0: When people say sharks are like they poo poo sharks, go catch a. No, they're big a bad animal. Black tip spinner shark. They're a
2: bad animal. And, and, and the same on the flats. Yeah. You catch one on the flats on a topwater plug, and he just burns through that shallow water. Until he hits a deep water and then he jumps and you just go. Jump oh and spit up your leader. All, all you want to do is get your lure back. <laughs> and the
1: same thing with jacks. Everyone poo-poos jacks. What's the I, difference between a Jack
2: Trevelle and a Giant trevally? Similar. The marketing? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so we have these big, right now, we have those big jack schools on the beach. And, um, you know, every school is different. Every year is different. But in a 10-mile run on the beach, you may see – on a good day, six or eight schools.
0: A big schools of how many? Five hundred fish? Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, it depends. So a lot of times the smaller schools are the bigger fish. Right. You get a hundred fish, that's usually those usually the studs. Right. Um, but you never know. I mean, I've seen the you you have the the um big schools and you throw and you're catching fifteen pounders and all of a sudden you get a forty pounder.
0: Right. Let me ask you, I've I've always found that those big jacks throwing a fly rod without bait and switch a lot of times you can't throw far enough and tease them you know strip the your, your fly far enough to get the bite so i've always found that if you throw a big plug with no hooks in it and chum the whole school up next to the boat bring the whole thing tease them, tease them up and bait and switch is that
2: how you do it well it, it, you know so it all depends um i would have clients that come from like a miami rod and reel club that needed to catch a jack over 30 pounds on fly Okay, well, so we can make you catch 15 jacks or we can try and get you to catch one. And we throw the teaser plug and you can look at the fish and kind of gauge.
0: How big they are. Yeah. Which ones are coming.
2: Which ones are coming. And when you have the big ones on, then you say, throw the fly. So it's really nice. And if if it's not the fish that you want, you just stop the plug and the fish grabs it. They realize it's not what they want. They let go. They go back to the school and you haven't spooked the school or changed anything. Right. Which is really nice. If you get tight to the school, we throw poppers on them a lot, and um, you throw the popper, and the They'll whole school piles on it. You know they come to the boat because because you're close. That distance right. is so much right. closer, so you're going to spook the school. So you're you're throwing to catch a fish every time when you're doing that. And and lately I've been throwing dragon tails on them. They've been eating those really well.
0: No and popper hedges the dragon just tail. Just the itself. dragon
2: tail, and they eat it different. They they nonchalantly eat it. Like a, you can throw like it like
0: a tarpon eating a worm, kind of just sip
2: it, eat it, turn your head back and swim, just kind of and swim. Because huh. they know the worm can't,
0: on. so they know the worm can't get away. Type of a scenario. I guess, the bait, I, the bait changes the bite.
2: It, completely different. They, you know, they're not piling on it, right? Like a, like they do on a popper.
0: I had uh, Steve Cantner with me one day. He's a great he's guy. He's unbelievable. And, I love Cantner. Uh, I love him. We did two TV shows together. And he went up to go up to Pex Lake and catch some Spanish mackerel to take home to eat. And so we're at Pex Lake. And I really wanted to catch these big uh, schools of jacks and catch a 35, 40-pound jack. And uh, so we're in the um, Pex Lake, and he's catching these Spanish mackerel on fine. And he says, hey, man, you got you to get your fly and catch catch one of these Spanish mackerel. They're awesome. I'm going, Steve. You got one more, and we're gonna go jack fishing. I don't want to catch one. He's like, I don't, macro. I don't care. So we feed, we're so we're running down the beach, and we see the uh, the yellow glistening in the light. And I, I get out ahead of them. And I had from experience realized I got to throw a spin and rod with a big. And I took a big uh, peacock back uh, bass uh, plug. Took the hooks off, and he had the propeller. Oh, the I, wood chopper. The wood chopper. I said, Steve, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to bring that entire school right into your lap. Right? You you chuck that fly in there. Well, 40 minutes later, Steve is still pulling on mm-hmm. this big old jacket. Steve, you haven't uh, you, you're
2: fishing now, right? You know, it, it,
0: it's the greatest game. One of the great game fish of all of fishing.
2: I, I call it Welcome to the House of Pain because there's no easy part about it. You know, you need to throw the the poppers you throw are big. They throw like a duck. They throw horribly, <laughs> and and um, the fish are big, you know. And you're just going to pull them. And now, um, because of all the bull sharks, now the bull sharks dog the jack schools. So you get a lot of jacks eaten. Yeah, this you, you know that's too again. Bad. You fight them thirty minutes. They never eat them early. They right. Wait till they get them right to the boat. So then, your arms are about ready to fall
0: off.
1: I'm just so glad jacks are not great table fare.
2: Right. Because everybody would fish for them, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, And You know, everybody drives by them. It's like the bonitas. Everybody drives by yeah. them and complains about them. Barracuda, you know. Have you have you barracuda fished?
1: Oh, and I've eaten barracuda. Holy crap! It's so good.
2: I'm not. I'm not that tough. No. Oh I, we, no, no! You we, catch
0: them. Uh, you catch them away from a reef. They're in, uh, we, 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 ate we ate them in, in Venezuela. The, yeah, at Malise, Las Rocas, the in Venezuela.
1: Oh my god!
2: I could probably eat if you didn't tell me it was barracuda. They stink so bad. All I can think about like, you just is like, the same. I could, and I'm is, gagging. Well, it you're so talking good.
0: about the same thing as like once you first kill an elk and you're skinning it, That's true. you know, it doesn't smell so good. But when you get them on a, uh, on a Traeger, it's pretty tasty.
2: Those, those Traegers are amazing. Aren't they? Oh. They, they changed my life. So I, I had a I had a Weber grill, and I thought I was the grill master till I got a Traeger. And I could put bark on hamburgers now. <laughs> My kids are like do a little rub can you on make it. Anything normal? <laughs> no, no, we're. It's so easy.
0: It's the best. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, Mike, um, I gotta, I gotta say, you've been really a, a wonderful, treasured friend. I think for Nikki and I for a long time. We fished when he was very young. Your friends really love you and appreciate and respect what you've done and your activism. You know, with what's going on in Tallahassee and uh as we said earlier in the podcast you're the voice of reason you're you're the uh the mayor well and you've got a lot of responsibility and you stand up and uh, represent yourself uh, incredibly well
2: thank you I, i think we all need to be the voice of reason and i'll leave you with this thought you know if if we don't fight for it it'll be gone it literally will be gone and and now's the time i mean it's do or die and um it can come back tomorrow All we got to do is, you know, get the water going back south to the Everglades where it needs it and away from the coast where they don't need it. And uh, we'll completely change the dynamic and bring our fisheries back. Um, You know, if not, if not, people are going to suffer in Florida. It's going to be very difficult for a lot of people. And the places that still are nice are going to wonder how they got turned into boom towns and just got overgrown so quickly because everybody's going to leave you know, these places to go where the fish are. Everybody wants to go to Panama City now because of the beautiful grass flats and right. how many fish there are and all. And, you know, all it takes is enough of that and and it'll change too. Yeah, so, well,
0: uh, thank you so much for coming on. a pleasure, man. Sharing you guys are, your you guys great are easy. stories. We, and...
2: we can go hang out and go do this. We need to just go <laughs> keep the papas flowing. We'll just sit here and chat more, <laughs> tell more stories. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. brother. Nikki, really, really, we need it. to get out and fish. Just you're your dad, a great steward. Leave your dad at home and come on up. We'll do some things. <laughs> we'll some real fun. So, so you can go back and just tell stories and <laughs> <So> like, wow, <laughs> this not what I expected.
1: I would love to do that. Thanks so much, Mike. Punches Big time. Guys. Thank you.
0: As we go through life, we look back at those that have helped us grow and understand things in a better, more significant way. People that inspire us to look more deeply that is before you, such as our friend, Mike Holiday. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.